In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. We are back. I believe this is the official start. I'm, you know what? I don't even have to say I believe. I get to make this decision. It is the start of season four of the camp. Season seven overall, if you count the first two years. But Jesse is with me for a fourth straight year. How you doing, Jesse? I'm good, man. Ready to get back at it. Hard to believe, but here we are. Fall camp this week. Yep. So we got Big Ten media days out of the way last week down in Indianapolis. Plenty of uh, information coming out of there. We'll talk about that in a minute. We've got big. We've got the Wisconsin media day coming up Tuesday, and then the Badgers start practice on Wednesday. A month later, they will open the uh, open the season against Illinois State at Camp Randall Stadium, uh, a six o'clock game. So plenty of t- plenty of time uh, for them to get ready. Plenty of questions that they have to answer. Uh, but Jessica, I'd like to go back to our time at Indianapolis last week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and the Badgers talked on Wednesday. Plenty of uh, things that came out of there. I, for Paul Christo, I thought that there was plenty of news that came out of his side press conference. Usually the press conferences at Big Ten Media Day, specifically Paul Christ. Uh, but, you know, I think in, in a large stretch, most of the coaches, the ones that they do up on the podium aren't overly informative. Um, it, it just feels like very, very basic questions. But there was there. I think there was plenty that came out of Paul Christ press conference uh, with the local media afterwards. Of all the things that came out, though, uh, what would stand out to you? I, I kind of feel like it's the uh, the injury situation, and then also the idea of competition. While we there's we know a lot about this team, there's still a ton of competition at a whole bunch of different spots, and, and he admitted to that as well. Well, right off the bat, to me, it would be some of the roster updates and, and changes and injury updates, as you referenced. Uh, for starters, we we were handed the updated roster like as we were about to get into the media scrum off to the side with Paul. And I asked the sports information director, can you just tell me who's not on here? So I don't have to go through a hundred names. And he said that Isaac Ham wasn't on there. Obviously the four-star prospect from Sun Prairie. Um, Paul Christ clarified that Isaac is taking classes right now at Madison college. So he's not going to join the program until he finishes his academic work. Now, I think there were probably some questions about what exactly that means. As it stands now, Paul's hopeful that Isaac will still join Wisconsin this year, but that remains to be seen. At the time of his commitment, you know, I think it was a pretty big deal because he was the top-rated defensive player in the state, and he chose Wisconsin over some big scholarship offers, Penn State, Notre Dame. Uh, Ohio State didn't offer him. But so that's that was the first bit of update. And then also Titus Toller is back on the roster now. No position group has changed more since the end of spring practice than the safeties. It was the biggest question mark coming out of the spring, and I think they've addressed some of those questions by adding Kamui Latu out of the transfer portal from Utah. Now they've got Titus Toller. Remains to be seen what he'll look like when he'll be at full strength. And and also Cade Iacomelli, who was an all-around athlete, uh, freshman signee in this class, initially told us, remember when we did the camp in December, that at the time – when Joe Rudolph was there, they were looking at him and coming in as a running back. Well, he's listed as a safety now, too. So they've definitely shored up the depth there. But those were a couple of big takeaways for me right off the bat. Yeah, they have thrown a lot of bodies at that. It, it always reminds me of um, I know this is a very stupid uh, comparison, but uh, Ron Wolf and then Ted Thompson with the Packers. Like when Randy Moss came in the league and just tore it up, 
in the late 90s. The next draft, Ron Wolf took three cornerbacks, I think, with his first three picks. Only one ended up, ended up being good. But the more opportunities you had, like the more bodies you throw in a position, the better chance you have of hitting. I don't know if that's necessarily the case here, but throwing Cade Miyakamelli back there, getting Titus Toller back on the team, obviously going to the transfer portal to get Kamoi Latu. You're throwing a lot of different bodies at that position, not to mention, you know, Austin Brown coming in as well. Uh, you're throwing a lot of bodies at the position to try and potentially shore, uh, shore up some depth issues there. If I were a Badgers fan, I would feel a heck of a lot better about what Wisconsin has back there. Latu, honestly, you look at all the transfers that Wisconsin has added. Um, you know, the, the number one in my mind may wind up being Jay Shaw just because of his accomplishments at UCLA and certainly looked like a number one corner out of spring practice in, in the time when he wasn't injured. But I think Latu could be a, a sneaky, huge pickup for this group. What he was able to do last year and his, his first year at Utah playing, he had a game against USC where he had 10 tackles. Um, John Torchio and Hunter Wooler are clearly, at least from when we last left this program, uh, and a lot can change, obviously, when we get to fall camp, but those two were clearly the top guys, but I think Latu is going to get a bunch of snaps. You know, I'm not really sure about Yacomelli. We saw like with a guy, Preston Zachman, for example, somebody that they don't necessarily have a specific position. They move them to a spot. It can take some time. And, and Zachman has been dealing with injuries, but I think Latu is going to play a lot this year and certainly don't want to count out Brown because he's got a ton of talent. And as Jim Leonard said in the spring, it's not a situation like it was last year with, with Hunter Wooler where you had all those veteran guys and he didn't necessarily need to play Brown. If he shows himself well in fall camp, could push for time in the rotation. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, definitely. The Isaac Cam situation, and again, I don't know how uh, accurate this is, but it kind of feels like a John Clay situation. Back in 2007, I believe, uh, or 2006, John Clay was not there to begin, claim, uh, begin camp. He had to finish some, some school things and then showed up, I want to say, like the fourth or fifth day of camp. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen with uh, with Isaac Ham, I'm just saying it kind of feels like a similar situation where there had to be some academic stuff taken care of before they could actually be out there, but they eventually do join. We'll see if that ends up being the case with the, the uh, defender from some prairie. Uh, otherwise, though, I, you know, going back to some of the other takeaways from Paul Chris little side meeting there, I think the idea that they have competition across roster. So like say at wide receiver, right? They have they know what they have in Jim Ray DK, and then there's a ton of competition behind them. At outside linebacker, they know that they have Nick Herbig, and then they have a bunch of talented guys after, but there's still a lot of competition for spots. I, I, when, when he says competition across the roster, I think that's kind of what he means, right? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, you know, we have an idea of some of these spots, as you mentioned, but it, it's going to be open in the first few weeks of fall camp, at least. Generally, in the time when we have a chance to watch practices, that's when the most stuff is happening because they, they want to see – who can work well with other guys, who can emerge. And by the time they close things down to us, it's generally about two weeks before the opener, they've got a pretty good sense of, of where people are going to line up because they need to get ready for the first game and the rest of the season. But I'm with you, wide receiver. It looked like Skylar Bell was emerging in the spring as that potential number two to Chimray DK, but he doesn't have anything locked up. He played all of 14 snaps last season, and that was all in the Las Vegas Bowl. Keontes Lewis got a bunch of reps. You know, I think Dean Ingram is going to be impactful out of the slot for them after playing cornerback all these years. And if Stefan Bracey is healthy, I think that's another name to watch. And Marcus Allen, there's, they just have a number of guys. And so things are far from settled there. And it's the same with the outside linebackers too. CJ Getz is the senior, 
Bobby April said in the spring that he was the best run stopper, but I think Daryl Peterson, I won't be surprised if Peterson is the guy who ends up emerging from that group and getting the most reps outside of Herbert just because of what his ceiling seems to be. Yeah. Uh, speaking of competition, you tried your best to get him to talk about the offensive line spot, specifically <laughs> specifically the right guard spot, because we, we, we think, here's what we think we know. We think we know that Jack Nelson's your left tackle. We, th- we think we know Joe Tipman's your center. And then I think there's some, some uncertainty. I think a lot of people would say your left guard is, is Tyler beach and your then the right guard spot, potentially Tanner Bordellini or Michael Furtney and the right tackle spot, Logan Brown, Nolan Rucci, uh, you know, Riley Mallman, trade Wittig. Like there's a bunch of different names there, but you tried to get him to say it was at right guard. The competition was between Bordellini and, and Furtney and he wasn't willing to give it to you. I'm okay with that. I think that's when he went. I think that's when he went off on the discussion about all the position groups being open, right? Yeah. Is that is that accurate? And the way I framed it was basically like, is it when you look at the line and the fact that Beach is coming back, is it fair to say that that right guard spot would be between those two guys? Would would be between Michael Furtney and Tanner Bordellini, and and he didn't necessarily bite. I'm just going to go and say it. It's fair to say, <laughs> unless there's some drastic change that Bob Bostead has made. And, and it's, it's possible with what they've had to look at the last three months, but that's kind of my assumption going into camp. I don't want to parse his words. Cause that's just very, very probably stupid on my part, but I thought it was interesting. He's, he's, he liked what Furt gives him, right? He loved, they like what Furt gives him. They certainly think uh, Tanner Bordellini could be good at uh, multiple spots. And then he kind of threw it at the end. Tyler Beach has played a lot of football. Yeah. Does, that mean, does that mean Tyler Beach is not the guarantee that uh, is going to be the left guard in your mind? Or am I reading way too much into that? I have no idea. I, I okay. <laughs> In a few days, I expect to have a better idea, assuming we can watch something. I mean, Beach is back for a reason, and it's to be a starter in, in the first five. But I don't know if Bostead's thinking differently. Now, what we did learn in the spring is that Bostead like he did the first time around, he likes to find a spot for a guy and keep him there. And so part of me would be really surprised if all of a sudden Tyler Beach is somewhere else. I mean, tackle is a much better position for Jack Nelson. Um, You know, and Beach even talked about the fact that if if he wants to go to the NFL, playing on the interior is is where it's going to be. And I think he felt much more comfortable after dealing with the injury last year about being at guard. So I'm not ready to read that much into it yet but you've got uh, let's be honest you've got at least six guys who could start uh and there's only five spots and you know maybe you could make the case that there might even be seven guys who could start yeah so I, I, the, the guard spot is obviously the big one but i think they're going to be good no matter who's there it's the right tackle spot that continues to be um the bigger the bigger concern just simply because i don't think we've seen anybody there that's starter level at this point. And that's, and that's largely, I think probably more so on, on Logan Brown than anything. It's just because we saw a ton of him. I will say, uh, you know, Bob Ostad, or I should say Joe Rudolph moved guys around a bunch and like work them at a whole bunch of different spots. And that's not going to be the case for Bob Bostad. I feel like he gave Logan Brown all the chance in the world to grab that spot in the spring. He had never played right the right side before. So it was kind of a new thing. Maybe he looks like he's taken a step uh, after another three months of of working at that and uh, in workouts and everything like that. But I think among all the starting spots that are up for grabs at this point across the entire team, I would think right tackle is, has to be at number one or, or one a uh, on this team right now. 
I think you're right. I also think Logan, once again, at least in the first week of camp, is going to have every opportunity to show why he is worthy of being the number one guy. But you've got to have consistency at any spot, and especially at that one off the edge. He certainly struggled at times in the spring in handling some of those edge rushers. Um, and it, yes, those were the first 15 practices that he had on the right side. There's something to be said for that. But it's put up or shut up time, I think, for Logan Brown. Um, a lot of talk about his potential skill set. Obviously, we know the backstory with him being the five-star signee that he was. But you've got some other really talented guys. And if Logan isn't ready, someone is going to be able to take that spot, whether it's Nolan Rucci or Riley Malman. I, I really like Riley. And and certainly, I think you would ask Paul whether he could play on either side. Uh, that's a possibility. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up as a jumbo tight end this year, too. He's going to get snaps. But Logan, I think it's his job to lose, at least for the first week of fall camp. And I'm really eager to see what it looks like when we have a chance to watch. Yeah, for sure. There's, I mean, it, I think it's also worthwhile to note, as I think you might have he at least mentioned Nolan Ritchie, right? Yeah. So yeah. that I think is at least notable that he thought he was making some some headway. And he is he's going to play at some point, right? I mean, obviously, he's a five-star recruit. Uh, Logan Brown has maybe not lived up to that to this point where it hasn't really had a ton of opportunities to live up to it this to that this point but um the talent along that group at least on paper is as good as they've ever had and I think they'll be fine it's just they gotta that spot has to be figured out and I think it uh I don't know if it's gonna be Logan Brown or somebody else that's what the next few weeks will tell us was there anything else that uh, he talked about that stood out to you or do you want to move on to uh obviously everyone's favorite topic is this Graham Mertz's breakout year <laughs> Let's go, Mertz. All right. right. Ten minutes into the show, we haven't even mentioned his name. Yes. So uh, Graham Mertz will be it'll be his third year as a starter coming up. It is his job. He they they brought him down to media days. Not that I guess that means a ton, but he's the first quarterback to go down there for Wisconsin since 2015 with with Joel Stave. So you wrote a story about him. He says he knows the type of ball he wants to play and he's going to end up playing it. And, quote, I know it's coming this year. Big takeaway from your conversation with with Graham uh, inside Lucas Oil the other day. Well, he has certainly never lacked for confidence. He talked very similar fashion in the spring. Um, I, and we talked about the idea of put up or shut up time in reference to Logan Brown. This is it for Graham Mertz. Um, obviously, he's been here as two years as the starter, been three years in the program. Uh I feel like he's got it in him, but I don't know what that looks like. And and this is how I framed the story way back in 2018, right before he enrolled as an early enrollee here. I went down to Kansas to do a profile of him, watched him work out with his private quarterbacks coach. And I just sat on this bench. We were looking at the practice field and we're talking about obviously all the ridiculous expectations that came with him coming to Wisconsin. And I remember he pulled out his phone and he had, he had saved these voice messages and they were, I want to say it was like, two from Dabo Sweeney at Clemson and, and one from Nick Saban at Alabama. And he said something like, but I'd rather talk to Paul Christ. And it was just like, God, he, you know, he's very quotable. He's extremely confident. He's got all the tools. It felt like it was only a matter of time before he did something really special here. Not to mention the fact that that came on the heels of him shutting down his recruitment and saying he wanted to come to Madison and win a natty. And I remember talking to his high school coach who specifically said, um, that I'm a firm believer with Graham at the quarterback position, Wisconsin will be playing for a national championship. So when you, when you put all that together, um, like it's understandable why expectations were so high. And I feel like now we're at a point where I don't know whether any of that was ever realistic. It felt like it in the moment. So I don't know what Graham can do to ever live up to what people thought, 
but there is a gear between what he's been in these last two years and what I believe he can be and what he believes he can be. And this is the year to hit it. Um, you know, there's, there's no more excuses. They've got this new offense. I just don't know exactly what it looks like because for him there, there are raw tools there, but there are certain things that haven't necessarily translated at the college level, like the windows that you have, the timing that you need, everything's sped up and it just hasn't translated into that star performance outside of the the, the starting debut against Illinois. So He's speaking a good game. Everyone's confident in him, but I think people felt this way last year. But this is it for him, I have to believe. Because if it doesn't come together this year, even though he's a redshirt junior, let's let's just be real about the situation. There's four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster right now. Chase Wolf is a fifth-year senior. They don't even have a, a guy committed in the 2023 class. They're probably going to go to the transfer portal if, if Mertz isn't the guy they need him to be this year. So this is his time. You said that there's a, a space between the type of quarterbacks he's been, the type of quarterback you think he can be, and the type of quarterback he thinks he can be. Where, like, obviously he thinks he can be great. Where do you think he can be? What kind of quarterback do you think he can be? Are you on that thinking that same thing about him as he thinks about himself, or are you a little bit lower? It's hard for me to go to that place right now just because we haven't seen it consistently the last two years. Um, and we can talk all we want about the improvement and the strides that he makes in spring practice or fall camp. He's not getting hit. No one's teeing off on him. So we really don't have a clear indication of what it's going to look like. I think he'll be better than he's been the last two years. But what does that mean? Is he among the top half of the quarterbacks in the Big Ten? Is he among the top four or the top five? That's the biggest question, because to me, that is the that is the most significant question about what this team's ceiling is. Yeah, the defense lost eight starters, but they're replacing them with guys who played and with transfers who played. And there are question marks around the offense, sure. But as you mentioned, the O-line should be pretty darn good. The running game led by Braylon Allen should be pretty darn good. Yeah, there's questions about the receivers and the tight ends. But Graham's development is, is the biggest reason or, or reason Wisconsin won't win the big 10 West this year. Uh, that's just how I feel about it. So uh, I, I don't know exactly where he's going to fall in, in line this season, but I do expect him to be better than he's been the last two seasons because he just has to, he's turned the ball over too much. He hasn't made game changing plays enough. Obviously he, he is the biggest reason why, or why not they will win the big 10 West. Did you, did it catch you off guard at all with the media voting of Wisconsin is the overwhelming favorite to win the West. I mean, they got 31 of possible 36 first place votes. Minnesota and Iowa split the others. I was a little bit caught off guard by that, just simply because without the without solid quarterback play, I mean they 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 didn't get solid quarterback play last year, and they I guess they still almost won the West. But it just it feels concerning what they have to replace. It felt a little bit off for me. I was extremely surprised. So cleveland.com does this poll every year now where they pull like 36 media members who cover the league and Ohio state received all 36 first place votes to win the East. And as you said, Wisconsin got 31 of the 36. A lot of that I think comes down to almost brand recognition and what you think, you know, about a team or what they've put on the field before, because there's no way to know what Wisconsin's going to do. And this is never perfect or, frankly, almost never right. Last year, the, the picks were Ohio State and Wisconsin. Michigan won the East. Iowa won the West. Wisconsin's generally picked every year, almost every year to win the West. Um, that surprised me that they got that number of votes. But when you really start to think about it, some of those other programs have very difficult crossover games as well. So 
it's easy to say, well, Wisconsin opens Big Ten play against Ohio State. They've got to go on the road to Michigan State. They lose those two, and then there's not much margin for error. But I think you could say the same about some of those other teams. And there are a lot of really solid pieces in place for Wisconsin. So if Graham can put it together and the offense can take the steps forward that it absolutely needs to, you know, I, I think Wisconsin would be the pick as well. For me, it just feels like it's so wide open that anybody could do it. So you're just picking Wisconsin because it's Wisconsin and they, yes. you know, more often than not, they've been there at the end, at least in a competition for it. Right. I mean, since Paul Chris showed up, won it in 16, won it in 17, won it in 19 was a win away from it last year. Like they just, they've been there. So I guess it just makes sense that they would be the the favorite, but um, it, the overwhelming nature of it just caught me off guard a little bit. The other aspect of uh, Paul Chris, you know, talking with us is, the coaching change at inside linebacker, because that was another story that we had not had a chance to talk with him since it all came out. The Bill Sheridan of, you know, the NCAA investigation. Did he know? Did he not know? Uh, you know, why did he re- resign, even though not much had changed, whatever it was. And then obviously the hiring of uh, Mark D'Onofrio uh, last month. But he's uh, Paul Christ. You don't usually get this type of comment from Paul Christ. Right. Uh, that that like, you know, maybe opens up your eyes a little bit. But this one was it was he's uh, not happy with the way the NCAA handled it. Uh, Paul knew about this situation with Bill Sheridan before uh, he hired him. Certainly didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. But he said this, quote, it'll be one of those that I'm anxious to at some point to tell people what happened. I can't right now, but it's ridiculous. You don't usually get that that part of from Paul Chris, right? I mean, he, there has to be something here that, that really bothers him for, to get him to talk like that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think there were some questions after Bill Sheridan resigned as to how much Wisconsin knew, because the uh, first question you would go to was why would you hire him? If you knew this was coming down the turnpike. And obviously Paul didn't know that this was going to happen. At least he acknowledged that they had a conversation beforehand about the potential issues, but I don't know if we'll ever hear the full story on that. He, he The reason he can't talk right now is because of ongoing NCAA investigation into those alleged recruiting violations. But, I mean, it makes sense. Would Paul have hired somebody if he knew that in a few months he was going to have to hire somebody else? No. So that was certainly an eye-opening comment. And I would, to move this forward, I think the other thing that he said that kind of stuck in my mind was – the reason for hiring Mark D'Onofrio because again, the surface level is this dude hasn't coached since 2018. You know, you, there wasn't, it's almost like when you're out that long, you start to think what, there wasn't anybody else who was good that was available. But I think Paul made a really good point and something that I wouldn't have thought of, or at least wouldn't have envisioned it in this way. He, he said that it would be unfair to say that it was an open market when he was looking at coaches And the reason that he said that was he felt that if someone was going to leave where they already were to come to Wisconsin, that he didn't know that that was someone he really wanted to join the program. Um, And that kind of makes sense to me. He obviously Paul values loyalty and there would be really good coaches out there, but he wouldn't want to bring someone in. Let's say let's just say there was an assistant at some I don't know any power five school or, or even in the NFL or something. I don't know that anybody would leave the NFL to go to the college, but what would that say if you brought in a coach in June who was leaving a school that, that he'd already been to Um, Paul didn't want that. And so when you frame it from, from that lens, 
then I think he did a really good job in bringing in somebody with a ton of experience who just wasn't in a coaching role in the last couple of years. Yeah. That was also that something that uh, certainly stood out. How much of an impact do you think having to switch coaches in the middle of the season, like, or the middle, I guess not in the middle of the season, but like the middle of the summer after getting to know to an extent, getting to know Bill Sheridan and going through spring ball with him and now having to introduce yourself or uh, introduce your game and introduce your play style and everything like that to another coach, you know, just a month or two before having to go in and, and uh, play a game or actually get, get to fall camp going. How big of an impact do you think that is, especially at that spot? I imagine it would make some impact, but I, in the end, I really don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Um, obviously it's a relatively young group and experienced group at inside linebacker, and they've got to learn the system that their coach wants them to use. So like there is a feeling out process there, but ultimately no matter who the coach is, I think it's going to come down to the, the guys that clearly stand out are going to be the ones that play. Um, and it's all a part of Jim Leonard's system. And I, I just don't think it's going to end up being a massive uh, deal. Like by the time we get to October or something and you're a month into the season of, of at least regular season games, I don't really think it's going to matter, but I think it's going to matter like now <laughs> when you're trying to get to know him and what he wants. Uh, and yeah, fall camp is very important, but I, I still think it's going to wind up being the same two guys that we saw at the end of the spring. Um, and maybe someone else will beat out Tatum grass for the top spot. But like we've mentioned before, uh, like Jordan Turner to me is the next star at inside linebacker. And I don't think it matters who the coach is. He's going to be in that top group. So I don't think it's going to change the production or even really who the, the top guys will be, but, it is a unique situation, and that is the one position group that has the most questions to answer. So the other two guys down at Big Ten Media Days for Wisconsin, in addition to Graham, were Nick Herbig and Keanu Benton, both guys, I believe two of the only three returning starters on the defensive side of the ball mm-hmm. uh, to go along with um, Isaiah Mullins. So you have – so those two guys are down there. Nick Herbig seems ready to go. I think uh, <laughs> it's fair to say he had a busy offseason. We talked to him – uh, on our show down there about going to uh, what is called the bro barn run by Lane Johnson. I know you spoke with him about that as well, but his off season was busy, I guess you could say. And, and he, he treated himself a little bit differently this off season than in past years, right? Yeah, he did. I, I thought this was interesting too, that I really hadn't thought about how NIL can play a role in just other facets outside of straight making money. But he said that because he talked about how he'd started eating right and he was meal prepping and I asked him what that meant. So he signed an NIL deal through his agent with Fit Fresh Cuisine, which is in Madison. And he said that the arrangement allows him to have, they deliver to him these healthy lunches and dinners. So five days a week, he doesn't have to worry about anything. He's got his meals all planned out. And I like, honestly, what a brilliant way to utilize NIL. If if people say your body is your temple, right. And and that's the most important thing to be able to have something like that. You don't have to think about it. um, It seemed to make a big difference for him because he feels leaner and faster. And he's been on this trajectory since he signed with Wisconsin, since he committed to Wisconsin, his older brothers in the NFL, his offensive linemen, his family is kind of, it's all been geared toward what this season can be. He's made these strides. He led all Big Ten underclassmen in sacks last year. I think this is a Leo Chanel type junior season where he just dominates and goes to the NFL after this year. So, yeah, he's been eyeing a year like this for a long time, and I think it's going to happen for him. Yeah, I mean, the dude had 14 and a half tackles for loss, uh, a bunch of sacks, nine nine sacks, I think it was. For him, though, 
he's going to be a focal point for offenses. I don't know. How, yes. And I'm not saying he wasn't in the past, but when you have to deal with Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn, and then you have, you know, some other guys to deal with as well on that defense, maybe he wasn't always a focal point. Like he has to be stopped. Now, now he's the guy. And I think he's ready for this, but he also has to recognize that it's going to be a little bit different. No. Oh, a hundred percent. And uh, at, while we're on the subject of big questions coming in a fall camp, that's a huge one is you've got to have the three other linebackers be playmakers or at least be able to uh, every once in a while break through. So the offense can't game plan just to stop Nick. And certainly he's going to be the focal point, but that was part of the reason why Leo could be as good as he was last year. Cause Hey, Jack Sanborn is the first team, all big 10 player. Um, he's pretty damn good. You know, you had really good outside linebackers with Noah Burks and, and Nick Herbig. And I, I think some guys are going to emerge, but there's no question that that could impact what Nick does statistically. I part of me wonders how much it's going to matter unless they're throwing two guys at him on every play uh, because he just seems hell bent on being the guy. And another thing that he talked about was he, this year it's time for him to become a game wrecker. And he mentioned guys like Aiden Hutchinson and chase young, who were game wreckers that they were the most important player on the field. He had to game plan specifically for them. Um, and uh, both those guys went number two uh, in the first round of the NFL draft in their respective drafts. So he set his sights high, but yeah, no question about it. Those other guys have to step up because that's going to allow Nick to do his thing. Meanwhile, uh, with with Keanu, it was a situation last year. I think there was some thought, some thought that he may try and turn pro, but I don't know how how serious that was. But either way, he had to attack this offseason a little bit differently based on some of the advice they got back from NFL scouts. Yeah, he said he would talk to Sean Snee, who's the director of football strength and conditioning at Wisconsin regularly last season, asking what are the what are the scouts thinking? What are the scouts thinking? And Snee kept telling him that they wouldn't have that conversation until the end of the season, which makes sense. So he could focus on the year. Uh, but the feedback that he received after the season was that he needed to do a better job of just <laughs> being well conditioned because he said that it was noticeable to NFL scouts that there were stretches where he would take some plays off. Um, and look, the dude is 6'4", 315 pounds. I can't imagine it's easy to be revved up every single play. But he took that information to heart, and he feels like he's going to be able to be more consistent this year because he's got his work capacity up, as he described it. And he said that after the team would do runs or conditioning work, he would go run on his own to make sure that his conditioning was up to par. So uh, another guy who, like Herbig, has taken the steps necessary to put himself in a position to have just a monster year as, as monster years can be for nose guards. I mean, we saw earlier in his career, the stuff that he can do is the way he can move offensive linemen out of the way. And I think this defensive line is going to be, I think they're going to be as good as they were last year, if not better, which is saying something considering they're losing Matt Hanningson. But as you said, two of the three starters coming back are on the D line and Benton is going to be a key cog. Yeah. I'm, I'm of that opinion as well. I got a little pushback. Uh, when, when I was doing my position previews, uh, Evan Flood did the uh, me and him did the defensive line, and he had bigger questions than I think me or you did, or me and you do about the spot, specifically about the depth and that type of thing. Which I, I think is at least uh, I can I can at least see it a little bit. But when we talked to Keanu down there, he thought Gio Pius had a great off season and uh, is a guy that's that has a chance to to contribute. And then obviously, Rodas Johnson and, and James Thompson Jr. have to step up and, and fill some of the void that Matt Hennington leaves, and it's not going to be an easy one. Matt Hennington, one of the more underrated players, I think, that has ever played at Wisconsin for some of the things that he was able to do. But I do kind of think that they're going to be able to step it up, and, and, and there will be some other young guys, too, that uh, perhaps, perhaps will find their way into to some playing time. But 
again, yeah, the defense lines, I think is going to be just as good as they were last year as well. I, I believe that for sure. So going into media day on Tuesday, everyone's available. Who, what's your, who is your biggest focus going into, uh, into that? Is there some, a story that stands out? Obviously Titus Toller, I think is probably going to be a, a focal point for some, uh, Kamoi Latu obviously as well, but wh- where do you, where is your mind when you're heading into there? Yeah, those are probably a couple. Um, I would certainly want to know what Ches Malusi and Isaac Arendo have been up to this offseason to put themselves in, in position to be ready because both those guys mentioned in the spring that they expected to be ready for the opener, certainly based on some online workout videos we've seen. Ches uh, looks ready to roll. Like That's just a huge position for Wisconsin, no matter how good Braylon Allen is. He, he can't carry 29 times a game the entire year and expect to come out of that fully healthy. So those are a few. Um, I've been told that Aaron Witt and Travion Blaylock aren't going to be available to guys who have been, been battling injuries. And uh, I know we didn't mention this on the show yet, but that was another takeaway from Paul Christ's uh, media session with the local reporters down in India is that Aaron Witt's injury. Um, I mean, he's still dealing with it. Um, it's been two years running now. And so he's not going to be participating at the start of fall camp. Um, which obviously is a, a total bummer for him and that outside linebacker group. But those are a couple of uh, of names that I'm interested in talking to. And obviously Mark D'Onofrio probably as well uh, and figure out exactly what he's been doing. Yeah. <laughs> for, the last, <laughs> for the last few years, he's certainly on top of it. Any of the true freshmen stand out for you? Um, I don't know if I'm the right person that uh, asked this question of, because I've, I've written about every single one of them and That's talked right. to a lot of them yeah. here in the last few months. So I kind of told all their stories. I don't know necessarily what's new before fall camp. And the other thing is it's not a fall camp situation where you've got a Graham Mertz or a Logan Brown or just the massive name in the class. Yeah. Obviously the, the four-star guys are Isaac Ham, who's not going to be there. And then Joe Brunner, the offensive lineman uh, from inside the state. So for me, no one specifically uh, on that front. Although, I mean, you know, Cade Iacomelli, as we know, a great interview would be interested to hear how it came to be that he was going to wind up at safety unless it was just a numbers game. Because when Wisconsin looked at him last year, they liked him at safety, wide receiver, running back. Um, so that's one guy that I think could be intriguing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The tight ends also are kind of, for me, a, a little bit of a, a story just because how healthy are they? I mean, we, yeah. knew, we knew that they were, you know, we got to talk to them in the spring and, and kind of where they were in terms of their rehab. But Clay Cundiff, Jack Eschbach, those are both guys that I think are going to play a ton of football and it'd be interesting to see where they are in their return from their, I guess, their, their individual leg injuries, both of which I, I know Jack dealt with a lot of injuries, various injuries, but both, both leg injuries ended them in the ambulance and being taken to the hospital. So uh, seeing where they are is going to be, um, I think, paramount as well. And another guy, Cam Larch too, right? Uh, Cause he, we didn't get a chance to talk to him in the spring. I didn't even see him in the spring, uh, but he was potentially going to have a shot at, playing a lot of fullback last year before his injury at Purdue. And then also Jackson Aker, officially a fullback now. So they they have a, a fullback for sure. Same thing with Riley Nowakowski, officially a fullback, at least on the roster. Who knows whether that's uh, that's accurate or not. We'll see. A couple of number changes uh, since the last time I had a chance to talk. What do you think? Ches Malusi, number one, you like it? If it works for him, it works for me. It looks good though, right? Like I I mean, six was pretty tight too, but you know, one one's a, one's a good looking number, I think. 
I'm okay. sure there's some joke to be made about binary codes with Bra- Braylon Allen being zero and Chaz being one. You'll just see a lot of zero one zero one this year, I guess. Yes, uh, I was going to make that joke, but <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Why don't you just edit me out and you can say it? Oh like no, 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 no. I was going to make that joke, but I feel like everybody already has, so I didn't, I didn't want to do it again. But hey, uh, first show since the the new number, all good. Fall camp starts Wednesday. I know we kind of talked about this already, but your biggest question going in. Um, I just want to see the quarterback play. <laughs> I don't care about anything else. Uh, it's nice to examine the third team left tackle and stuff, but what <laughs> what's Graham look like? And again, as I said before, that may not even matter because he can't be hit, but it's the single biggest piece to this puzzle for Wisconsin to take the next steps forward. And I guess to piggyback off that, what's Bobby Ingram's offense look like with a few more months to put the pieces together there? Because... It looked like they were trying some new things in the spring. How much has he built on that in fall camp? Yeah, I'm anxious to see that. Anxious to see what the offensive line looks like, not in terms of their play, but where they have them lined up. Because I I guess I would – I don't want to say I'd be surprised if it's the same group as it was in the spring, but I kind of I kind of would be. Like I think Bob Ostad gave them all the time in the world to work at those spots, and now he gets the chance to – or at least this offseason – had a chance to, to look at it, figure it out, set it up and then put those guys in place and, and let them go. But that, that stands out for me. And, and also the wide receiver rotation and the tight end rotation. And cause there's just, there's so many opportunities available for guys. When you lose a Jake Ferguson, you lose a Danny Davis, you lose a Kendrick Pryor. There's so many uh, passes that need to be caught that we're going to see some guys step up that maybe we weren't expecting to step up. And then I think that's always an interesting part of fall camp. And then how, how do the quarterback situation look too? Because we think Jay Shaw's a one. We think Alex um, Alexander Smith's a one. And then Justin Clark, probably the slot. But then where does Cedric Dort fit in? And where does like a Ricardo Hallman fit in? There are there are opportunities there as well at these spots. And then, of course, you have five starters at outside linebacker. You only have two starting spots. So how does that all play out? There's so many questions, so many exciting things to get to uh, as Wisconsin will open fall camp on Wednesday. We will be there. And I should say we will be there. I don't know if we'll be there or not. Um, we haven't gotten a schedule yet for, for camp. However, if it is open, we'll be there and then have a chance to react. But uh, really looking forward to this season. Going to be an exciting one, I think, uh, with, with so much uh, promise in certain spots and so much unknown that uh, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team here in the next two to three weeks leading into the Illinois State game on the third. Jesse, thank you very much as always. Looking forward to, to doing this throughout the season. And uh, welcome back, I guess. Thanks. Good to be back. Talk to you soon. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. Coming up uh, again, as I said, we'll be doing shows throughout the year. If you have a chance, please uh, go to whatever, wherever you get your podcasts and rate and subscribe. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to The Camp.